Good morning. It's good to see you here in God's house as uh, we uh, celebrate Jesus and what he's done for us. During these next weeks, we're going to be sharing with you a group of people called Faces of the Passion and various people who were connected to Jesus somehow, some way, as they were there with regard to his suffering and death. And our first person we're going to look at is uh, Judas, one of his own disciples. And the the Matthew 26 passage, there's a couple sections of that. Uh, This is now uh, right before Jesus is going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples on that evening before he is actually crucified for all of mankind. And in that first section, verses 14 through 16, It says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And this is now after the Lord's Supper, after they've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he arrives, and with him is a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Dear friends in Christ, the word traitor is really a terrible word. sounds terrible. Now, if you weren't listening closely to me, you may have thought I said traitor. But really, if we look at the whole thing, it's not far from the truth because traitor means one who trades their loyalty from one group to another. And this past week, as we've watched the the horror that's going on in Ukraine and the invasion, uh, there was an incident I was watching that uh, showed it regarding some Russian soldiers. And these soldiers, a number of them, they they left their convoys that were being ambushed by the Ukrainians. And they said they didn't want to fight for Russia anymore. It was a country that they were supposedly loyal to, one where they had taken their vow to be loyal no matter what, and yet they have now left. When Jesus was so involved in his pain and suffering that he was about to face in that death of his, there were few things that would hurt him more than to have one of his own men betray him, one who had been with him for three years, one of his own disciples. Many Christians have really found it difficult to try to get into the mind of what Judas perhaps was thinking. You know, it may be that Judas's part in this whole tragedy is really a minor one. You know, when you think about it, Those uh, mighty forces that came, the soldiers and the Pharisees and the chief priests. And and Jesus had no intention of resisting their evil that they were going to do upon him. For Judas to say, well, I know where he is. I can lead you soldiers there. It really wasn't a big part at all. And we know that sooner or later, Jesus' enemies would have gotten to him and with Judas not being the guide, perhaps in that case, then, well, someone outside of the 12 disciples would have been found to tell them where he was. It confuses us to think that we would know a person, Jesus, so closely, you know, that Judas was, he was there. 
He had lived with Jesus. He had walked with him. He talked with him. He saw all the things that Jesus had done, his work, and yet he could do such a terrible thing to his master. It also causes us to really question why someone would do this thing for such a small bribe. 30 pieces of silver. Now, that's not a number that was chosen at random. You go back to the book of Exodus and you find that 30 shekels of silver, those 30 pieces, that was the price of a slave when you wanted to buy one. And today it might be $10, $12, maybe even less than that with inflation. Not much at all. In today's currency, you know, that reward even at that time is really out of proportion to what that act of betrayal was. And we also wonder, as, you know, there may be passages of Scripture that we try to interpret where, you know, well, it might leave us wondering if, you know, Judas, that he was born to do this, or that there was no way for him to escape this destiny of betrayal. Well, we know that these are uncertainties that have made it difficult for us to get into that mind and the motives of Judas Iscariot. Now, there have been several theories regarding his motives. And the first one is that he was being an honest patriot for his nation, Israel. And so he came to the conclusion that, well, Jesus, he's a danger to the nation. And so I need to stop him and find a way to do that. Well, there's another theory, too, that Judas was a loyal, but he was an impatient disciple of Jesus. He was one who was confident that, you know, the Lord had the ability to take care of any situation. He had seen Jesus feed 5,000 men and then along with some additional men, uh, with some additional women and children. He did that with five loaves and two fish. Judas saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw him raise people from the dead. All this going on. And he thought, well, certainly, as Jesus takes care of situations, he can handle these people who are going to come to arrest him with his almighty power. And then there are also those who argue that Judas was wavering back and forth in his confidence of, is Jesus the Messiah? Yeah, there were times they would say that he was sure, and other times when he was unsure. They saw the miracles all the things that Jesus did, he, he saw that as well. And he also heard things from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that were going against Jesus. So it was basically coming down to one test that he put Jesus to. And they say that, well, if he thought he was the Messiah, he's going to use his mighty power and take care of things. And if he's an imposter... Well, then that man gets what he really deserves. The impressive objection to all of these theories is that although they really sound good, they are all going against what the Bible says about him. I want you to take a look at this first fact concerning Jesus and the scriptures and Judas. It says in John 12, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. Now this, let me set this up for you. They're at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus has already been raised from the dead. So this is right before Jesus is going to be having the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with his disciples, and then to be arrested and eventually crucified. So Mary, Martha's sister, and Lazarus' sister, she's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet. And Judas 
you know, who it says was later to betray him, he objected. And he says, why isn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. That's a lot of money. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, Jesus also says the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So what conclusion do we draw concerning all this? What's the truth about Judas Iscariot? Well, notice in the first place, and he may not know this, but he was the only Judean of the disciples. All the rest were Galileans. They lived up in the north. And of those 12 disciples, the other 11, they came from that Sea of Galilee. Remember, they were fishermen, and they followed Jesus. And Judas, he was from the south. And from the south, you have a different accent, right? Well, he did from those Galileans. And maybe that was what set him off a little bit. You know, he was different from the start of the other disciples, Notice also that Judas was really a man of training and finances. And Jesus had chosen him to be the accountant, the keeper of the money bag. And when you've got a group that is that size, that's moving from place to place, it's good to have one, one person doing the finances. That way the, it's not any trouble for the other disciples, and it's also less trouble for those people that they end up dealing with. And Judas was that man. He had some business skills, abilities, and Jesus made use of it. We can't think that Jesus chose Judas as a disciple just for him to eventually betray the Lord. It's not why Jesus chose him. That's not our Lord's nature. Even though Jesus had foreknowledge that Judas would be the one to betray him, it doesn't mean that he forced Judas to act. You know, that's like us last night. You knew that the sun was going to rise this morning, right? But just because of you knowing it, that didn't cause the sun to rise. For Judas, he would act for reasons of his own will. He would act with as much freedom as we humans are given by our God. The painful truth to Judas is that he was a covetous man. Greed was his sin. You saw in that passage from John 12 how he ended up you know, sneaking some of the treasury money for himself. And that was before there was even any talk of betraying Jesus. That accountant, he had turned into an embezzler. He could even hide his greed under the disguise of piety, of you know, holiness before God. And when Mary brings that perfume to anoint the feet of Jesus... Judas, he's the only one who doesn't see her love and her tribute to her Lord. He acts as if he's shocked by the gesture that she's doing. And he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Well, it sounds pretty high and mighty, doesn't it? That kind of remark. Innocent. But you can probably assume that if that money was sold and put into the money bag, uh, Judas would have taken a, g- a good portion for himself too, right? Maybe that was his inclination, so that he could have more money and not the poor, because John wrote, you know, he didn't care about the poor. Jesus instead is focused 
on himself and the cross. And what he says to Judas Iscariot is, leave Mary alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And then after Palm Sunday and when Jesus has really disappointed the disciples, you know, they're thinking he's going to establish this great earthly kingdom and he doesn't do that. Well, then Judas is thinking, well, maybe there's not too much to this Jesus business, at least not with regard to money anyway. And as a result, we see that there's very little that's going on. Judas, maybe he thought he was going to get some fame and fortune with being with Jesus. And in the end, he says, oh, well, maybe I can make a little money, 30 pieces of silver. But things didn't seem to work out as they expected for him. Maybe he only promised to take the soldiers to that garden, and that would be it. But when they got there, they saw the crowd of disciples. And so they they needed more from Judas. And he turned to help them again, maybe even more than he wished. And so he signals them saying, you know, the one I kiss is he. Arrest him. Judas betrays his Lord with a kiss. And a kiss was a greeting among friends. You know that even when he did that, Jesus, his response was, do what you came for friend. We all know how Judas felt about what he did. It wasn't good. In the next chapter of Matthew, chapter 27, it seems that Judas follows Jesus and he's outside that courtyard where the Sanhedrin are doing that trial of Jesus all through the night, an illegal trial, if anything, because they can't do it between sunset and sunrise. But they did. And as they're leaving, Judas stops them, and he's holding the money in his hands, and he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. That's what he cries out. And they just pass on. So Judas takes that money, he throws it into the temple, and then he goes out and he hangs himself and dies. The story of Judas speaks to us in a special way. Aren't you glad that we're not Judas Iscariot? All right, don't jump to conclusions here now so quickly. You know, we can learn that it's possible to live near to Jesus and still to fall away. It's possible to be one of his close friends and yet to have perhaps what could be the foulest betrayal. Satan would love for us to be so overconfident being with Jesus that, oh, there's nothing that can change us, that's going to have us go from one direction to another. That's what Satan wants us to think especially when it comes to money. With our human nature, we find that really there is nothing so holy that money can't distort it. Money is very useful, we know, and it's also terribly dangerous too. And that's why we know that the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. What does the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. When we make it our love, our God, And finally, about Judas, we can learn that it is wrong to limit the Lord's forgiveness. After the betrayal, we know Judas took his own life. And he forgot his master's message of forgiveness for him as was for all people. Perhaps he wasn't listening very well when Jesus said that the the love of God is so great that it always 
really meets repentance of a person with a pardon, with forgiveness, with absolution. If Judas were instead to have gone to the cross, instead of going and hanging himself and saying, you know, Lord, forgive me, you think Jesus would have done that? Definitely. That was the same Lord and Savior who said to those people who are crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then to a thief on the cross with him, what does he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. It's Jesus. He's the one. And no sin against our Lord is unforgivable. We can't limit God's grace, but we can only rejoice in this particular fact. John 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world, not just some people, his favorites, his chosen. He loved the world. Think of everything he created. He loved everything so much, and especially us, the crown of that creation, that he gave his one and only son. He gave of himself. Whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then those words that you probably don't have memorized. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Our closing song today is going to be God so loved. So as you sing that, think about those words and what that means for you. And also for others who don't know Christ. Because they need to hear that. Just as we need to get humanitarian aid, for example, up to Ukraine for people who are suffering, they're suffering physically, right? And emotionally. What about the people who are suffering spiritually, who don't know Christ? It's Jesus, God's Son. He's the one who enabled us to overcome the world, the love of money and doubt and worry and fear, even the devil and death itself. We know that as we did this past Ash Wednesday during our services, we repented. We asked for forgiveness of our sinfulness to God. And yet we also cling in faith to the promises of God that he's in control of our destiny. And it's all connected to that cross, to Jesus. God wanted Jesus to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And as we live with that particular promise, we keep worshiping our God. That's why you're here in this place today. And you're just not out grocery shopping. You might do that later. But you're here. And we do that. And we keep turning those pages of Scripture over and over as we read God's Word and we listen to it when it's spoken to us. That's why we come to this sacrament. All because of forgiveness. And also to get strength in each of these ways, knowing that we're going to walk with Jesus because he's there with us each and every day until that day that he calls us to those glories in heaven. Those words that we spoke in the Apostles' Creed, resurrection of the body, the forgiveness, the remission of sins, forgiveness of everything we've done, and everlasting life. That's what it's all about, people. No matter what's going on in your life, that's really what it's all about, to focus on him, and he will get you and walk with you in all those situations. And we know that it's the Holy Spirit. He keeps us trusting that God's got our best interest in mind in a way that we know that 
It's our salvation and our eternity with him that we look forward to. Let's pray about that. Gracious God, we thank you for for loving us, for being so faithful. You don't know anything but faithfulness, Lord. And we may not be betraying you in ways, but we've certainly denied you at times, Lord. Like Peter, we know that we can come to you and to ask for forgiveness. And as Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You do. And you know what we need. And you also know what we can do for you. So put that in our minds, Jesus. Enable us to hear your word, to respond to it, and to to share that love of Christ. And let so many others know of forgiveness and peace and joy that comes for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.